Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. We're continuing in our series in Daniel called True Grit. Last Sunday was all about Daniel's vision in the night of the monsters out of the sea. Daniel 7. I had several church members tell me, oh, I had nightmares this week. I said, don't feel bad. So did Daniel. Uh, chapter 8, uh, uh, that, that vision is sort of expanded on and reinterpreted, in the same uh, 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 general gist, and today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9, so turn there if you would, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, Daniel is having his quiet time. Do you have a daily time alone with God? Do you have a daily devotion? Do you have a time you meet with the Lord? We see here uh, this hero of the old testament is doing the same thing he's having a time alone with god he has set times for prayer and devotion and meeting with god and when he's having his quiet time it hits him that he and the people of israel are on the brink of a breakthrough and so i titled this morning's message how to pray on the brink of a breakthrough some of you need a breakthrough in your life you need a breakthrough fresh freedom like that hymn revive us again well here's how to pray on the brink of a breakthrough are you there Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1 it hits him in the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus a descend, a, by descent a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign I Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years now what do we see here uh, uh, we see Daniel not only having his quiet time but telling us what book of the Bible he was reading it says that he's reading in the scriptures and not only the scriptures he's reading specifically out of Jeremiah and it hits him that Jeremiah prophesied, yeah, we're going to be in exile, we're going to be in Babylon. Remember, the people were taken from Jerusalem, they were taken into Babylon. Temple's been destroyed, Jerusalem's been leveled, and here they are. And Daniel keeps thinking, how long are we going to be here? How long are we going to be here? And he reads in Jeremiah. What did he read in Jeremiah? I don't know. But could it have been that he read uh, chapter 25? Look, look, I put it up here. Look, look, maybe he read this. Maybe he... he uh, of course, he, they didn't have a bound Bible back then. He had a tablet. That was the joke. He read it on his iPad. All right. The, he read it on his phone, of course. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. Oh, talking about Jerusalem. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it hits him. That's about us. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So, so we're coming to the end. This is it. Daniel starts doing the math. Wait a minute. It was like 69 and a half years ago they brought me here. We're on the brink of a breakthrough. And then he, he flips a few pages. Well, of course, it was Hebrew, so he flips this way. In Jeremiah 29, 10, he reads again. Everybody remembers Jeremiah 29.11. For many people, 29.11 is their life verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is the verse before that. I think this would have been Daniel's life verse. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Daniel goes, oh, we've got a window. Oh, listen, the window. He had a window of opportunity. That's a pun. He prayed in front of his window. But it also realizes that window is here. When you realize, guys, we're almost there. 
You don't slow up when you see the finish line. We're here. It's coming any minute. The sky could rip open. The trumpet should, could sound. And it'll be our great getting up morning. Any minute. You don't, you don't slow down at that point. You intensify your praying. And that's what Daniel does. Why do I make that point? If that's the prophecy, if he reads that and he goes, all right, so the Lord said 70 years, and I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. 70 years, your time of exile will be over, and I'm going to rescue you. He didn't go, well, if that's what the Lord predicted, then that's what he's going to do. No sense praying about it. No sense doing anything about it. (sighs) Whatever will be, will be. No, it's a prophecy of the Lord. And so look what he does in verse 3. He doesn't sit back passively and wait. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Isn't that something? God promises to do it, so he prays, Lord, let it happen. Humans, myself included, have a real problem understanding the following. I, I, I'll tell you right now, can't do it. I can't understand it. How can there be the foreknowledge of God? I know you've thought about this. How can God know everything that's going to happen? He has complete sovereignty, complete control. And yet, humans have free will. Now, I can't explain that. God doesn't seem to have a problem with it. God has complete sovereignty, and here it is. In, uh, uh, he understands it in his wisdom perfectly how all that works out. That's, above, that's over my head, but it's not above the Lord's. He sorts all that out. And Daniel doesn't see any contradiction at all. He says, if this is what's going to happen, then we're going to pray. And I prayed to the Lord. And he records his prayer. And if you're a note taker, this forms the, his prayer forms the bulk of this message. And I want to divide the message, if you're a note taker, into three headings. And they're simple. It's really a message on prayer. Daniel recorded, this is like his prayer journal. And throughout uh, the, the entire history of the church, we've gotten to read old Daniel's prayer journal. What a treasure it is. So here's your notes. Before, amen. During, amen. And after, amen. Got it? What happens before, amen, before you say the prayer? What happens during the prayer? And what happens after? So before, amen. During, amen. After, amen. Got it? Here we go. Before amen, the act of praying itself. How should you pray? Well, under your notes there, before a.m., uh, before amen, let me, uh, let me give you an acronym that I have used for years in my ministry. You, I hope you've heard it by now. If not, let me remind you. A good model for how to pray, and we see it right here in Daniel's prayer, is the ACTS method. A-C-T-S, Right? A-C-T-S. I've shared this with you before. It's very simple. If you come on a Wednesday night, you'll see I base all the, the, the worship orders for Wednesday night around A-C-T-S. Here's a great way. If you're just sitting down and you say, I, I want to pray, but my mind wanders. I don't know how to organize it. I don't know what to do. Try A-C-T-S. You can try this today. A, adoration. You begin with praise. Adoration. C, confession. This is how I teach my kids to pray, right? A-C-T-S. C is confession. Ask the Lord to convict you. Confess your sins to the Lord. T, thanksgiving. Say thank you for the stuff he's already answered. And the S, unfortunately, is, the S is a stretch. It's supplication. When what, what I tell my kids, it just means asking. They said, why didn't you say asking? I was like, because acta is not a word. 
but it should be act of. But it just means asks, uh, acts, supplication. That means asking the Lord. That's when we go to the Lord. A lot of times we skip over the ACT and we run right to supplication, but acts, there you have it. You see it right here in this text. Look at verse 4. He starts with adoration. A-C-T-S, adoration. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see that? He begins his prayer with praise, with adoration. Why? Because God is worthy of praise. And besides, if we love God, we can't help but celebrate him. If you will, it sets the whole prayer off on the right foot. Notice how Daniel addresses God. Notice these two, two theological themes going on. God, you are great and awesome, holy, powerful, transcendent, untouchable. There's no one like you. Great and awesome, transcendent. Covenant and steadfast love. You know every hair on our heads. You love us. You're the king who happens to also be my father. See? You see both those things? Which are you better at praising the Lord for? Christians, and often churches, tend to be better at one or the other. Either we tend immediately to think of God as so transcendent and so powerful, we need to begin with a a little reminder that He's also the God of covenant and steadfast love. Others of us have grown so comfortable with the God of covenant and steadfast love, we've forgotten His holiness. Entire churches, this can happen. Cultures, this can happen. Uh, So many of us grew up, I grew up, I'll be honest, I grew up in a church where the pendulum had swung this away. (laughs) And I grew up with the holiness, understanding a very high view of God. Uh, I grew up in a church, you know, it, 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 it was... I mean, you walked into the church and you knew. I mean, there was no uh, talking or, 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 or goofing around. or. Any, I mean, you know, you, who is the big deal? And, and the seriousness, and they would get up and they would pray, and it was such formal prayers. And I, I still remember being in college uh, and going to the uh, 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 Baptist ministry there, and I was meeting these Christians, and they were on fire for the Lord. And I remember the first time I heard one of these young Christians, and he, he grew up, and apparently he had a very different understanding of God. And I remember the first time I heard him pray, and he goes, Hey, God. And I like backed away so that the lightning only took him down and not me. You just said to the creator of the universe, hey, like you're, like you're starting a text message with, hey God. Over time, I realized uh, I shouldn't mock him. He knew something of the nature of God that I didn't know. And I needed that. And then I would hear somebody else pray, hey daddy so good to be in your presence. And I'm going, you just called him daddy? He is father at best. We prefer sir. You know, right? Right? You see what's happening, don't you? God was pushing that pendulum back a little bit and, and, and showing me, Tom, Tom, oh, he's the king. Don't ever forget that. But he's your father. Now I wonder if maybe the pendulum has gone so far this way then maybe you'll notice sometimes I try to push back this direction. Now, cultures are very comfortable with God being our heavenly daddy, and we can interrupt him whenever we want. And now maybe we need a little more formality. My point is, yes, okay, yes. Yes, we need to know the holiness of God. But yes, we need to know the intimate, covenant, steadfast love of God. It doesn't have to be either or. 
He's the king. And the only person that can wake the king up at 3 a.m. and demand a glass of water is the king's own kid. And that's who you are. So go to him at 3 in the morning. Go to him with everything. And remember, he's the king. Daniel did both. That's why his adoration here is so powerful. And that leads, of course, to confession. Adoration, confession. It's really the bulk of Daniel's prayer. And so I'll just read it. I won't make a lot of comments. I'll read it. But then I want to I point out, uh, do, you, do you notice what's here and what's missing? What's here and what's missing? Look at verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. You hear his heart. He's calling calling it out. He's saying, no, things are not okay. We've sinned. And he doesn't just say, they've sinned. It's all them. Look, it's we daniel says i'm i'm in this too to the lord our god belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him we have not obeyed the voice of the lord our god by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets all israel has transgressed your law and turned aside refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of moses the servant of god have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity for under the whole heaven there's not been done anything like what's been done against jerusalem as it is written in the law of moses all this calamity has come upon us yet we have not entreated the favor of the lord our god turning from our iniquities gaining insight by your truth Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. People talk about confession. They talk about saying I'm sorry. They talk about apologies. But so rarely have we ever really seen one. Why? What's here and what's not. What's here is an agreement confession is agreeing with the Lord that you are right and I'm wrong confession is agreeing with the Lord about the truth of the matter you've showed us what we're supposed to do love God love people we haven't done it we're without excuse the reason we don't that's what's there here's did you notice what's missing in all this what's missing is the way we usually apologize this is how we apologize to one another have you ever heard this listen we need to talk here's here's how we apologize I, uh, you know, about the other day, I'm, I'm, I, I, I came across, and I'm, I'm sorry, your feelings were hurt. I, you know, I, I came across really too harsh, but you kind of understand, I'd had a crazy day that day, and I mean, the kids were screaming, and I was hangry, and um, really, I wasn't myself, and so, anyway, I'm sorry, right? And we call that an apology. You do realize that's not an apology at all. That is a list of reasons why you shouldn't have to apologize, isn't it? Did you hear them? They're subtle. I'm sorry, but you got to understand, I, I had a crazy day. Well, if you had a crazy day, then you didn't do anything wrong. It's not your fault. And I was hangry. My goodness, if you were hangry. Here's my favorite. Man, I don't even know what came up. That wasn't even me. You literally were not you. I don't know who sinned against you, but it wasn't me. It was an out-of-body, paranormal experience and we do the same thing with God. 
God, I'm sorry I did that. I just, I guess Satan got the victory over me. I guess I, my goodness, the prince of darkness wrestled you to the ground. Then you don't have an apology, don't you see? The only way you know if an apology is a true apology is ask, what's the point? Or better, where's the point? I hurt you. I knew exactly what I was doing when I did it. There's no excuse. I intended to do it. I intended to wound you. And for that, I'm sorry and need forgiveness, period. Now, if you ever heard that, you'd be floored. Why? Because you're not used to hearing a real apology. You're used to hearing a list of justifications why what you did wasn't that bad. But if you can put a period instead of a comma, if you can say, God, I knew exactly what it is. Satan didn't get the victory over me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the Lord. So no, and it wasn't, I don't know who did that, Lord, it wasn't me. It was me. I rebelled against you. That's what this prayer is. You gave us the prophets. We knew exactly what to do. So when I sinned, I didn't like get tricked. I didn't get overtaken. I deliberately rebelled against you, God. And for that, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. God says, okay, now we can talk. Now I can forgive, because now there's something really to forgive. Up until then, there's just a list of reasons why I shouldn't have to forgive you, because you had good reasons for what you did. Drop the justification. Drop the self-justification. Just go to your Heavenly Father and say, I knew exactly what I was doing, and I did it. You say, but then I don't have any leverage. That's right, you don't. It's just a plea for mercy. You throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Don't give them a bunch of evidence. If, if, usually when we sin, somebody else had a part. Don't worry. God will deal with them. He's not asking you to deal with him. You deal with, he's dealing with you. See, confession. And c- true confession. Not confession with a list of reasons. That's not confession at all. Just confession. All right. He turns from adoration, confession, then to thanksgiving. And now, look at verse 15. Oh, always give, gra- give credit where credit is due. And so he begins to think, and now, oh Lord our God, you've done it once. Look, thank you, Lord. You brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. You've made a name for yourself, as at this day we've sinned, we've done wickedly. It's nice. He can't help himself. He's back to confession. But for a minute there, he's in thanksgiving. And now, now comes the S in Acts, supplication, asking. And look at what he asks. He just wants to go home. He wants, he wants Jerusalem to be back to its former glory, not for his name's sake, but for the Lord. Look at this. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate isn't it beautiful when we hear that blessing that God told Aaron to bless the people from number six may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his what cause his face to shine upon you he's saying Lord let your face shine upon you know if you don't have any idea what to pray for this nation pray Daniel nine seventeen. all across North America there's churches that were once vibrant and filled with people and now these sanctuaries dark this morning desolate oh God let your face shine again upon these dark and desolate places oh my God he says in verse 18 incline your ear and hear open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name for we do not I love this we, I, I, oh how often I end my prayers with this we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness because of your great mercy somebody will come and ask pastor will you pray for me I said well yeah but not because I'm a pastor because I'm a Christian 
I don't have any special hotline to God, but I love you and I'm your brother in Christ. So yeah, get over here. Let's pray together. And they'll ask for some incredible miracle. And I'll pray for this miracle. And even as I'm praying, I'm going, this would take a miracle. This is a healing. And so at the end, I remind this person, but really I'm reminding myself. I say, Lord, I'm asking for this, but I don't know. I don't have all the right words to even pray this. I just know we need a miracle. And I'll tell you this, I'm not asking because I'm a great prayer. I'm asking because you're a great prayer answerer. Think about that as you're praying. You're not going to the Lord because you've got the magic formula as if there is one for how to figure out prayer. You're going to the Lord because he's the great prayer answerer. Not, it's not, God, it's not our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Look at how he ends the prayer. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Oh, when you pray, do you give God good reason to answer? God, it's your glory. It's your reputation that's a driving concern. Uh, 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 uh. In other words, when you pray, put all the pressure on Jesus. He can handle it. Even in evangelism, by the way, put all, all the pressures on Jesus. So you just bear witness. You just, you just pray. All the pressures on Jesus. But if you've got a child that is wayward and rebellious, then you pray like this. You pray, oh Lord, what honor it would bring your name if they came home. Oh God, what glory you would get if they got set right. You would get so much glory. So God, answer and hear. Your fame and your reputation. Pressure's on you, Jesus. You're the great prayer answerer. I'm just the great asker, right? So, so, so uh, uh, if you healed this cancer and you healed miraculously, what glory and honor would be to your name? Put all the pressure on Jesus. If this situation's going to change, God, it's not me, it's you. If, if you have a, a brother or sister who's walking through a hard time, oh, Lord, what glory you would get for your reputation if you brought them through. That's before amen. Daniel's tutorial on how to pray. Got it? A-C-T-S. Now, I want to do these other points a little more. We can go through them a little more quickly. But have you ever thought about what happens during your prayer? I've talked about what you're doing. You're praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. What's going on in heaven when a Christian starts to pray? You ever think about that? What goes on in the heavenly realms while we're down here? I mean, we're just... We're just I mean, many times we even call it a prayer meeting. Meeting. A me- meeting we usually associate as boring, right? And we gather and we pray. Oh, if we knew what was going on in the heavenlies, we wouldn't gather for prayer meeting with just folded hands and a notebook. We'd gather with a hard hat. <laughs> if we knew what was going on in the heavenlies, and we get a little sneak peek about what's going on in the heavenlies while you're praying. I want you to think about this this afternoon as you pray, tomorrow when you pray, as you're going through adoration confession thanksgiving supplication look what happens during i call it during amen verse 20 wow i was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people israel and presenting my plea before the lord my god for the holy hill of my god wow this touch this lets you know it's happening simultaneously while i was speaking in prayer the man gabriel now side note we met gabriel in chapter 8 uh he helped daniel interpret a vision already so he's met gabriel before that's why he calls him the man gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, Again, side note. At the time of the evening sacrifice, there's no evening sacrifice in Babylon. He couldn't have been talking about that. 
there's not even an evening sacrifice going on in Jerusalem. The temple's been destroyed. And yet, after all these years, Daniel still sets his clock on God's time. He still calls it the time of the evening sacrifice. Here it is, 70 years since he's been around for an evening sacrifice. And he said, I'll tell you exactly what time it is. It was the time of the evening sacrifice. You, you know what that means? You can take Daniel out of Jerusalem, but you can never take the Jerusalem out of Daniel. You get your kids in church, you raise them, you train them up in the way they should go, and they may go off to lots of different places, but they will live their life according to God's clock at the time of the evening sacrifice. See? still set his watch by Jerusalem time. Anyway, while I was speaking, so before he even got to amen, the heavenlies were springing into action. Uh, all I want to say about this is, before we've begun to pray, God has already begun to answer. Let me say that again. As we've begun to pray, God has already begun to answer. Now if you say, Tom, how can you reconcile that? How can you reconcile divine sovereignty and the effective prayers of a human? In other words, how do those things work together? If God already knows what he's going to do, if he knows everything past, present, and future, then what difference does praying make? Can you explain that? No, but I can show you. It's right here. I can't explain it, but I can bear witness to it. And go right there, right then. The heavenly spring into action when the people begin to pray. When people begin to pray, the heavenly spring into action. Every single prayer means you're on the brink of a breakthrough. And I want you to think about that. So, that's before amen, A-C-T-S. During amen, don't forget, before, as you've begun to pray, God's already begun to answer. And now, after amen. So, when you get up off your knees to pray, in that moment, what are you supposed to feel? What are you supposed to know? What, what are you supposed to do after amen? When you get up off your knees, God wants you to be absolutely certain of three things. And they're right here in verses 22 and 23. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, this is Gabriel talking. Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So, okay, so he wants to give Daniel something, all right? At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Oh, the first thing. Uh, if you're a note taker, I know it's hard because you've got like points and now you've got sub points. But he wants you to know three things uh, after amen. The first is he wants you to know you've been heard. You've been heard. You're heard. Every single pray, prayer you've ever prayed, it may not be answered exactly like you want. And it may not be answered in the time frame you want. But you may rest assured, every one of your prayers is heard by your Heavenly Father. You're heard. Secondly, look, look at this. This, is, this stuck out to me. I, I think of the whole of chapter 9, everybody's interested in the prophecy in the 70 weeks, but this to me is the headline. Daniel, I know it's been a tough go. And I know when you were a teenager and you got pulled out of Jerusalem, you were minding your own business, you were starting varsity for the Babylonian bombers as a teenager, and you just wanted a prom date and to pass your ACT exams, you know, like everybody else. And suddenly you were thrown into the, the fiery furnace of Babylon and you, you, the lion's den and the whole deal. Listen to me, Daniel. God sent me to tell you, you are greatly loved. I need the attention of every blood-bought child of God in this house. You are greatly loved. He loves you. 
some of you go through your whole day and I'm here to tell you you may not know it but you know how good movies always have a good soundtrack the music that plays in the background some of you go through your whole day and I'm here to tell you you don't know it but you've got a pretty rotten soundtrack you do throughout your whole day your soundtrack that's playing over and over again is condemnation accusation how come Satan never brings to mind the 10 good things you did over the last 10 years <laughs> your mind immediately goes to those rotten things you did and you notice there's no statute of limitations with the enemy you, know, you remember when you were five I'm 80 let it go right right but that's the soundtrack that's in your life put a new soundtrack you are greatly loved I get it there's a fear there's a a fear there's a fear that I'll, Andrew Peterson just as I am there's a fear he writes there's a fear that I'll fall one too many times it's the fear that his love is no better than mine but he tells me that just as I am just as I was just as I will be he loves me he does he showed me the day that he shed his own blood he loves me oh how he loves me he does why God put his delight on us is a mystery angels can't even figure out but that he loves you is the uncaused love of God is the foundation of all the blessings in our life you are greatly loved did you hear me you are greatly loved put that on repeat put that on blast and when that old enemy tries to drown out that music you just get a little bit louder with your music Daniel 9 music you are greatly loved if you have to stand up in front of the mirror and say, I am greatly loved by a holy God, then do that. And if people wonder what on earth you're doing, you just you know, send them the link to this sermon. They'll figure it out. <laughs> you're heard, you're greatly loved, and finally, your future is secure. Now look, I thought long and hard, and I'm still not sure I made the right decision. I thought long and hard about what to do with verses 24 through 27. Without question, all commentators agree, they are without question the most difficult verses in the entire book of Daniel to understand. So I had a choice. Do I give them their own sermon or do I tack them onto the end of this one? And I decided to put them at the end of this one for this reason. If you're not careful, because these verses are so difficult and so exciting and all about prophecy, you start to think they're the headline of Daniel 9. They're not. The headline of Daniel 9 is his prayer. And when he got up, he realized he was greatly loved. Gabriel then gave him this prophecy to let him know, you've been heard, you're greatly loved, and your future is secure. So you've got to understand, 23 through, uh, excuse me, verse 24 through 27 are so difficult. And yet, remember that if you walk out and you go, I didn't understand those last verses. Well, first of all, I don't either. But... Uh, uh, I do understand that he, Gabriel's trying to tell Daniel you are greatly loved so let me say again all commentators agree that verses 24 to 27 of Daniel 9 are the most difficult to understand in the whole book of Daniel that unfortunately is the last thing that all commentators agree on when it comes to Daniel 9 24 through 27 I have had this week the uh, uh, rare experience of disagreeing with scholars that I read and uh, uh, why I say that's rare is that I'm disagreeing with uh, scholars that I almost always agree with and they interpret this and I'm like how did they get that they're so smart they should they're they're, they're better than that okay 
uh, and then uh, 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 I have also uh, disagreed with, uh, watched them as they disagree with other scholars that they respect. They love these guys and they think they're incredible Christians, but they totally disagree. And the craziest of all is that um, over this week, I, I disagree with myself on a lot of <laughs> these interpretations. One commentator writes, the history of the interpretation of the 70 weeks is the dismal swamp of Old Testament criticism. So let's jump in. Uh, I, um, I want to remind you that uh, the plain thing is the main thing. So here we go. And, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. We're out of time. Well, we just won't get to the... I'm just kidding. I thought about that. Uh, here we go. I'll, I'll read them. I'll, I'll, I'll take my shot. And um, if you say, uh, preacher, I disagree with that, I'll say, yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> 20, so here he goes. Gabriel's going to encourage Daniel. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven sevens, or seven weeks. Then for sixty-two sevens, or your footnote may say sevens, it may say weeks, either way. Sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall come, its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. You can just give an invitation or should I try? Oh, no, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let me, uh. Are, are the weeks here literal or figurative? I mean, did anybody read that and go, I know, every, I know all of that. I know every bit of it. I mean, who is this anointed one? Who's the prince to come? Who is it that puts an end to sacrifice? Who's the desolator? There's three main schools of interpretation on these verses. Some people think that all these things that Gabriel told Daniel were to comfort him and let him know they're about to happen, and they get up to the, around the time of Jesus and a little bit after, and they've now all been fulfilled. Others say a lot of this stuff was fulfilled, but there's still some left to fulfill. And still others say all of this is pointing us toward the future, and it all remains to be fulfilled. Um, I, res I reserve the right to change my mind on this, um, but in my understanding, I'm with this middle group. I think there's, there, part of this has been fulfilled, but part is still to come. Here we go. Verse 24, 70 weeks, uh, that can also mean 77s. M almost all agree this is symbolic language and 77s or 70 weeks of years in other words so 77 year periods call it 490 years 77s are decreed about your people and your holy city to do these six things finish the transgression put it into sin atone for iniquity bring in everlasting righteousness seal both vision and profit and anoint a most holy place so gabriel is saying daniel you're on the right track you're on the brink of a breakthrough but it's bigger than you can imagine you, you think you're almost up. I tell you, not just seven, but 70 times seven. Sounds like something Jesus would say later. 490 years from the time you get to go back to Jerusalem to the time these six things will happen. Finish transgression, put it into sin, atone for iniquity. Ask anybody, ask a 10-year-old, who's that about? If you, if you understand the New Testament, you read that, and I think you say, well, that's got to be about the Messiah. That's got to be about Jesus Christ. 
atone for iniquity and bring in that everlasting righteousness? And you'd be right, I think. It is about Jesus Christ. But it's not just what he did on his first coming, but it also telescopes into what is going to happen at his second coming. Okay, so far so good. So in other words, 490 years are going to go by. And then he says, let's break these weeks into... um, uh, uh, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one week. So let's break them into three sets. That's verse 25. Know therefore and understand from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it will be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So in other words, there's going to be a good amount of time when the edict goes forth that you can go back. Cyrus issued that. And then he'll raise up a, a, a prince to draw the people back to God's law. It could be Nehemiah. I think it's Ezra. But then there's going to be, the point is, okay, you're going to get to go back. You're going to need to build up Jerusalem. It's going to be built up. But then there's this long period of time, 434 years, the 62 sevens, where it continues to be built up, though, though in a troubled time, and certainly under Greek and then later Roman oppression, it was a troubled time. But in the fullness of time, this new one shows up, this new anointed one. And look at what it says. And after the 62 weeks, in the fullness of time, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing here when I read that I can't help but think of the man of sorrows the Messiah Jesus who was the anointed one who who came to atone for iniquity and when he died on the cross he was literally cut off though he had everything he was stripped when Jesus hung on the cross between heaven and earth he had nothing he had been deserted even by his closest friends he was crucified by the world empire Rome cast out from the earth even cried up to heaven my god my god why have you forsaken me surely the anointed one cut off had nothing like isaiah 53 says about the suffering servant and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary Uh, sure enough 30 years or so after jesus there was a roman emperor uh, titus in 70 a.d who did exactly that prophecy made prophecy fulfilled but here's where i think prophecy not just at the first coming of Jesus, but this is why I say there's some stuff that still is coming. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, and desolations are decreed. So that spirit in Titus that made him so anti-God, that made him want to destroy the temple in Jerusalem, that spirit lived on, and I think we'll find ultimate fulfillment one day in the Antichrist, in the man of lawlessness. And then verse 27 is just a recap. And he shall make a strong covenant for many with one week, for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator he the anointed one who was cut off did make a strong covenant this in my understanding is the new covenant jesus refers to when he instituted the lord's supper he did put an end to the temple system jesus did that at his first coming but there's still this desolator to put down and that he will do when he returns Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response and invitation. I, uh, I may be wrong about my interpretation of those last uh, few verses of Daniel. You, you hear I'm trying to approach these verses with fear and trembling. Uh, and here's why. I want you to always know and always remember the Word of God is eternal. The Word of God is everlasting. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God shall stand forever. The interpretations of a sinful man, they, don't, they are not eternal. Everybody hear that? The interpretations of any one man, that's not the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And I'm before it, just as you are. And I have to submit to it, just as you do. 
If you say, well, I, I don't know about those interpretations. I don't know about all that stuff. That stuff seems over my head. Then remember, the plain thing is the main thing. And what's that plain thing? There is coming a day when he will absolutely finish the transgression and forever put an end to sin. He atoned for iniquity on the cross, but what's this business about? Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal both vision and prophet. Oh, he confirms the vision and the prophet. He came and he is coming again. And when he comes again, it truly will usher in a kingdom of everlasting righteousness. Now we dip not only into Daniel, but now we turn ahead to Revelation where John looks out and behold, he sees this new heaven and new earth for the former things have passed away and there the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a bride uh, 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 prepared the, the, the beauty of this vision coming and for new heaven, new earth forever and ever. And the plain thing is, Daniel you keep praying, you hang in there, we're almost there. Coleman, you keep praying. You don't give up. We're almost there. Don't you see? That's the plain thing. In the end, we win. Christ Jesus will be victorious. The church's one foundation. Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her. And for her life, he died. He loves the church. He's got us safe, and will get us safely home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we adore you, for you are great and awesome. You are also steadfast in your covenant love. Lord, we confess, to you, O oh Lord, belong righteousness. To us belong the shame of sin. Oh, but we thank you that you are still a delivering God, and so we ask and we supplicate that you would let your face shine upon us. Revive us, oh God. There are people right here in this room. They desperately need a breakthrough. Let us pray on the brink of a breakthrough. Let it happen, oh God. And we know that when we leave this sanctuary, when we leave this service of prayer and, and, and music and, and preaching and listening to your word and trying to understand, oh God, that we know that when we leave, we're going to know that we've been heard as we've begun to pray you've already begun to answer we're loved we're greatly loved and we know that our future is secure thank you god for the rock solid foundation that is your trustworthy word it's in jesus name we pray amen